As we jump into the word today, I've titled the message, The Fear of the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. No, you can do better than that. Somebody say amen. The fear of the Lord. And so we've got to move fast so we can get out on time because, you know, the kids' ministers, they, they really got mad at me last week. In fact, my mother-in-law was working in the back in the kids' ministry. She took pictures and started texting me of the little kids at the gate. Because I went so long. And so we're going to shorten it up today. Is that all right? Say yes. So that means you've got to listen fast. We're talking about the fear of the Lord. Most of the time when you hear that message, it's, been, it's from a vantage point of anger. It's from a vantage point of frustration. And literally the words, the fear of the Lord, it's miscommunicated. I want to communicate what they mean actually in Scripture. When you see the word fear in Scripture, it usually denotes two concepts. Number one, children of God, fear not. Don't fear the world or anything in this world or circumstances. That's one of the big points when you look in Scripture, when you find the word fear, what it's talking about. And the second thing it's talking about is the fear of the Lord. So let me identify what it means to fear the Lord. Let me give you a professional definition. The fear of God is an awesome respect. Everybody say respect. respect. Turn to the person next to you and say respect. Or reverence growing out of the greatness and power of God. I would define it a little bit more like this. The fear of the Lord is when you and I Hold him as precious when we recognize the awesomeness of his being and grasp the fullness of his power to be conscious of his abilities and to honor the fact that the great creator would want to have a relationship with me. That is the fear of the Lord. It is not to be scared of him or to be intimidated of him, for that's not who he is. That's not what he is, and that is a misconception of what people say he is. He is the God who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, who took the stars from the palm of his hand, and he went and created galaxies. And that God wants to know you intimately and personally. And with that being said, we've got a key scripture that we're starting with. We'll go back around and explain this scripture. It's James chapter 4 and verse 8. It's going to not fit at first, but I'm going to help you see it. It says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Will you help me memorize that? Everybody say James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let's try it again. All together. One, two, three. James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I want you to memorize that. I want you to wake up this, this week quoting that scripture. Go to bed quoting this scripture. Have that scripture on your heart throughout your lunch shift and things like that. The Bible says if we will draw near to God, he will draw near to you. What a miraculous concept that the living God is waiting for us to draw near to him. And then he will respond and draw near to us. We're talking about the fear of the Lord today. I'm going to connect this verse here in a second. But I can remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, I had a real large youth ministry. We had over 1,000 kids. And we, we would do these events about once every once a month or every other month. We'd do events where we just hung out together. And we, uh, we you, tried to do the lock-in thing. And when you got about six, 700 kids at a lock-in, you realize real quick, don't ever do that again. And so we came up with the bright idea that we were going to rent out a health club. And so it worked a lot better because it gave them something to do. All you guys that grew up in church and had lock-ins up at the church, you know what you ended up doing after three or four hours? Catching y'all smooching in the back back there. Some of you guys are the left. Anyway, and so, and so, I'm <laughs> being silly. And so what we did was we decided to rent out the big health club. It was amazing. It had swimming pools and basketball courts and all the young people would invite their friends. And it was awesome. And, and about 2 o'clock in the morning, I'd sit them all down on the gym floor and I'd preach my guts out. And, and you know, 300 kids would get saved. It'd be awesome. And then they'd go back on a treadmill. It's amazing how when their friends are around, how they can run on a treadmill for six hours, but you can't get them to cut the grass for 10 minutes. It's amazing. 
It's amazing. And I'll never forget, we had done it a couple times, and this one particular time we were doing it, it was about midnight, and I came around the corner, and there was this good-looking, huge black dude, man, standing there. He was all macking on his girl, and he had her up against the wall, and he was talking to her, and he was loving on her and that kind of stuff. And I walked around the corner, I saw him, I tapped him on, so I said, what are you doing? And he turned around and looked down at me, you know, <laughs> what are you doing? He looked down at me, he said, man, you better step off. I said, um, excuse me. <laughs> do you know who I am? He goes, no, but you better get up out of my business. That's all I got to say. I said, um, listen, uh, let me ask you, what are you doing? Hey, man, listen, I don't know who you are, but I'm about to jack you in your face. And he got all up in my face like that. He's doing all that. I said, <laughs> hey, woo, thank you, Jesus. And I said, let me ask you another question. Who'd you come with? Man, I ain't got to tell you. I said, Just, who'd you come with? I came with Dewan. Excuse me. Dewan! Dewan, you pass out? Come here, son. Come here. You brought this guy? Yeah. Listen, he's all up on this girl, and I'm about, I'm about that far right there from taking him out. I, I'm sorry, Pastor. I'm sorry. Man, come on. What's, what's wrong with you? That's the pastor. Man, I ain't know. He come all up on me and tell me stuff. I don't know who he is. Man, that's the pastor. You're going to be going home. He's going to send you home right now. Dude, he's going to send you home with the cops because that's how he play. He don't play like that. He's going to call the cops and just make up. He'll make up a story just to get you out of here. I'm telling you. You better go tell him you're sorry. I'm just standing there. Man, look, Pastor, I ain't know who you was. I mean, I'm sorry about that. Man, I ain't know who you... I, I'm sorry. That, let me explain something to you. That man had no respect for me because he didn't know me. He didn't know the position I held, the authority by which I governed. He didn't understand how he was in danger of my authority and power. He had no concept. Listen, you cannot be mad at a world who does not respect a God that they do not know. So the problem that we're having, and I really believe this message is prophetic and timely for where we're at right now, what's happened over the last few months, when we see young people just walking up to a girl, holding a baby, and knocking her down, and throwing the baby on the ground, and fighting and kicking, all this crazy stuff with police officers, mishandling things, and I believe right now, more than ever, what needs to happen, because judgment starts in the house of God, that you and I need to refresh our respect and our fear of the Lord, because when we do, then the rest of the world will go okay then we will too but how can they respect honor love know and be fearful of a living God that they've never met do not understand have no point of reference for just like this young man once he realized who I was he tightened up let me tell you right now and I want you to understand that we're living in a generation who do not know God. But we, the church, have not presented a holy reverence and relationship to our God. Most of our songs are about us. Oh, God, I need me. More for me, God. More for me. Oh, God. Get somebody to preach a sermon. It makes me feel good more about me instead of you are the living God. Because the Bible says, let's turn a couple of scriptures in Psalms chapter 111 and verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What did we say fear was? Fear is a holy respect, a reverence, an acknowledgement of the power that you are engaging, the understanding that he is the almighty God. Not, I am scared that he's going to hurt me. He's a robber. He's a bad judge. He's waiting for me to make, make, make a mistake again. Make, make another one. I dare you. Make another one. Uh-huh. That's not our God. Our God is to be respected. That's what the fear of the Lord is. And the beginning of wisdom, the reason why judges cannot govern properly, for they do not have the wisdom, and the wisdom that comes from heaven, and the wisdom that comes from heaven starts when you and I 
come into the fear of the Lord and the respect of the Lord and recognize, oh God, that you would even let me be your friend, that you even care. You've got the hairs on my head number? Are you kidding me? At any moment, you can blink your eye. If an eyelash falls from heaven out of your eye and hits the earth, it'll split it in half like an apple. Oh, God, that you would want to know me and have a relationship with me and be my friend. Oh, God, how unworthy am I? You are the great king of glory. Are you with me? Now, let's continue reading a couple other passages. Look at Psalms 89, 7. It says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around around him how sad that we come to worship and we're more concerned about whether or not they hit the bass thing right or if we like the song instead of coming into the assembly and say God is here and he wants to have a relationship with me and here am I oh king of glory righteous and beautiful in all of your glory that you will let me be your friend oh God what am I what is man that you're mindful for us what are we that you even care that we exist oh God that you would love me I give you everything and I honor this moment and I honor and respect you. You are the God that I serve. Friend, when you and I come to this type of place, now we're walking in the fear of the Lord, and now we've started down the path of wisdom. And look what it says in this next verse. Look at Proverbs 23 and verse 17. It says, do not let your heart envy sinners. Come on, social media. Oh, she's going on vacation. I ain't had a day off. Look at them in the club. Man, I remember if I had no kids, I'd be right there with you, man. Kids messing everything up. It says, do not envy sinners. It says this, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Be zealous. This is scripture. This is not Adam McCain. This is scripture. Be zealous. Be passionate about knowing God and having respect for him, honoring him. Nothing worse than to dishonor someone who deserves honor. Nothing worse than not know the power of the person you're standing next to. One time I was on an airplane with a friend and we were talking a bunch of gibberish and we were philosophizing and da-da-da-da-da. And I, I think we got to talking about some, some kind of technology we didn't know anything about. We thought we knew something. All of a sudden, come to find out the guy sitting next to us, that's what he did for a living. And he was an expert in his field. We felt stupid. <laughs> Everybody sitting around talking about God wants this, God wants it. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. See, when you and I draw near to God, we start interacting with the living God in full respect and full honor and knowing who he is and understanding his power and understanding his grace and mercy. And we start taking on his nature and his characteristics and we start becoming like him. And then what happens is everyone looks around and says, that's what it looks like. That's what I want. Listen, the reason why people are running into sin and running after sin because they don't see anything better. They don't know there's anything more, more wonderful and more glorious. But when you and I draw near to God, he draws near to us and we start interacting with the power above all powers the creator of the universe there's no alcohol there's no drug there's no perversion there's none of those things that will compare to a moment with the living God and I'll prove it to you look in the book of Genesis excuse me book of Exodus and verse 20 and uh, chapter 20 and verse 20 we'll look at that one but let me set the scene of this passage Moses has been born in a time when the Egyptian Pharaoh has gotten a prophetic understanding that there's a deliverer for the people of Israel who have become slaves to the Egyptians. Come on, how many of you saw the, the, the Disney movie, you know, Prince of Egypt? All right, three of you. Man, it was that that long ago. 
dating myself. You don't have kids yet. You'll see it. Just wait. And so Moses, Moses is born to save his life. His mother puts him in a basket, puts him in the river, and the Pharaoh's daughter is taking a bath in the river, and here comes floating this little Hebrew baby. She takes it, she adopts it, she raises it, she trains that baby. Moses becomes a man. He becomes a man of authority, a man of position, a man of power in the Egyptian in the, uh, in the Egyptian people, and he is he is one of very uh, prominence, and he is living the dream. He's just made it big. He's the big dog, and he begins to recognize who he is. He's he's actually an Israeli, and his skin tone's a little different, and he and he's got these things and. Of him are a little different, but he's been raised by the best, trained by the best, and he begins to uh, to defend one of the Israelis who are being beat by an Egyptian. As a result, he flee, he kills the man, and has to flee for his life. And he spends forty years on the backside of a desert. He's in this backside of this desert. What that means? He's in the middle of nowhere, and he's doing the worst job ever. He's doing sheep. He's caring for sheep. Now, friend, let me tell you something. If you became a sheep person, come your twenty year reunion, you're not showing up. They're not going to show up and say, man, what are you doing now, <laughs> sheep? In his day and age, it was considered the worst job for the poorest of the poor. It was barely even having a job. And it was considered lower class. And it was considered uh, something worthless to do. And so here he is. On the, he's been the prince. He's been in authority. He's had opulence. He's lived with, you know, the grapes being thrown in his mouth and the ladies fanning the fan, fans. He's lived like that. And now he's, 40 years later, he's in the backside of this wilderness, and he sees in the distance, he sees this bush out in the middle of the desert. This bush is on fire. He draws a little closer to it, knows it's not burning up. There's no smoke from it. It's just a flame. So he gets curious. He starts walking over there because people are attracted to fire. How many times you stop when that building, that car's on fire on the side of the road? It's always bottleneck right there. And he gets over to the, close to the thing, and all of a sudden, God speaks to him from the bush. And says, I am God. Take off your doggone sandals, because you're standing on holy ground, buddy. I want you to know I created you. I created the earth. And when you come in my presence, you better take your shoes off, Holmes. He's, he has an encounter with the Lord that so marks him. God says, listen, go back to Egypt, and I want you to get my people out. I'm picking you to lead, uh, uh, to, to lead them out of, of all of their captivity. And Moses says, I'll do it. To be with you, I'll do whatever you want. I've experienced you in this moment. I'll do whatever you want. And he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, God says, let the people go. You know the ten plagues. Some of you have seen that on TV. You've seen some, read that in scriptures back in the day. Goes through the ten plagues, and he won't do it. Moses says to him, listen, Pharaoh, just at least let the people go out in the wilderness by the, by the field, down by the mountain Sinai so they can experience what I experienced. Because once they experience the presence of God, God, the way I've experienced, they will not stay here as slaves. Once they get a hold of God, they won't be able to love what Egypt loves. They won't be able to live with orgies and perversion and satanic worship. They're going to want this living God. And through circumstances, you know, as the plagues went forth, they finally released them. Moses walks them out into the wilderness. They get at the base of Mount Sinai. And for three days, Moses goes up and says, God, I got the people. Come meet with them like you met with me. Come do with them what you did with me. Come on, God. Come do what you did with me. God says, all right, tell them to stand at the edge of the mountain, but don't touch the mountain. Because I'm God. 
I'm the creator of heaven and earth because I want them to know who I am. See, friend, what's happened in the United States and in the church, we forgot who he is. He's not our buddy. He's not our little sheepdog. He's not our little friend that we put in our back pocket and we do what we want when we want, pull him out every now and then, our God card. No, no, he is the creator of the universe. He is the creator of humanity. He is the living God. And like I said, with the blink of his eye, he can annihilate everything that you know that exists. And so Moses says, okay. He says, but I'll keep him from the base of it and we'll put up barriers. And so the people came and they stood at the base of the mountain and God says, here I come. And as he begins to come down the mountain and a cloud begins to come down that mountain, the mountain starts shaking. And millions of Israelites say, no, no, sir. Uh Uh-uh, I don't want him. I don't want to know him because he's too awesome. He's too powerful, friend. Listen to me. Moses experienced the awesomeness of God because he drew near to God. God drew near to him. The reason why still today what we want is the preacher to go draw near to God and then come tell us what God had to say. So the Israelites said, no, no, good Moses, you go talk with him and tell us what he says because we don't want to be close to him because he scares us. Friend, listen to me. All God's ever wanted was a relationship with his people. All he's ever wanted was to know you intimately. All he's ever wanted you to do was draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. Friend, the king of glory wants to be your friend. The king of glory wants to ignite in you what life is really all about. And you just keep going to work, doing your little stuff, watching your little stuff on TV, looking at your little porn, having your little issues, always talking to God about your problem instead of coming in and going, you want me to be friends with you? We've lost the respect and the honor. And as a result, we do not fear God. And these people stand at the edge of the mountain and say, no, no, we don't want him. We don't want him. Friend, we're doing the same thing today. And because of that, the nations of the world, they're out ruling in a whole different way because they don't know him either. And they don't see our love and respect for him. They don't see our awe in our God. They don't see that. So as a result, they have no awe or respect for him either. Come on now, I'm I'm speaking truth. See, judgment starts in the house of God. Oh, as I was preparing, I was so repentant. I said, God, I've treated you as common. I just know you're always going to be there. I've treated you like my little buddy. I've come into worship, more worried about did the lights look right, did the sound go good. Instead of God's meeting with me, here am I. And lost that respect. Lost some of that understanding because I became familiar. Are you with me? Say yes. So the nations of the world and the people that are worldly and do not know our God, why would we ever be angry at him? Them, they don't know him because they haven't seen us know him. And when they see us know, what happened was Moses was like, come see, come experience what I've experienced. And they said, okay. But when they got close to it, they said, no, 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 it's too powerful for me. I want you to know we serve the living God. Somebody ought to say amen. We serve the living God. For sake of time, I'm going to skip down. And look, I, I, I've already seen the end. Let's look at the book of Revelation for just a moment. I'm going to scan some chapters to help you understand prophetically what's happening in our generation, in our time frame. When you look at the book of Revelation, what it is, it's what they call an apocalyptic book. In other words, uh, the Apostle John, who had been who, who had been in prison for being a Christian, for preaching the gospel, he was exiled to the Isle, Isle of Patmos, and basically kind of like what Britain did with um, with Australia. All the bad guys, all the guys that they couldn't handle, they just threw them on an island. Hope you don't hope you don't die. And that's what they did with John. And John says in chapter one, uh, he says, "On the day of the Lord, on the Lord's day, I went into the cave, and God opened up heaven to me, and began to meet with me." 
And here's this man who lived uh, in, in the first century. And all of a sudden, he begins to see thousands of years ahead. Can you imagine a person who's rode horses everywhere they went, or camels, or went in a, in a wheeled cart, who's never seen electricity, who has no concept of, 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 uh, of flight uh, by, by way of mechanics, has no concept of, of, of iPhones and, 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 uh, and air conditioning. All of a sudden, he's seeing 3,000 years into advance, and he's seeing God saying, watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach them who I am. I'm going I'm to demand their respect. Watch what happens. And John sees it thousands of years in advance and he's trying to write about it and there you got the book of Revelation I I saw such and such and he's trying to explain it in first century concept so let me kind of break down how we see it a little bit in chapters 2 and 3 it's all about the church the, the, the seven representations of the church that's alive in the earth in those days and guys we didn't do so good half good not so good of what the church was doing in that hour. Chapter 4, John opens the vision and he shows the holy side of God and talks about the throne of God. Chapter 5, his wrath begins to start right there. and Seals are starting to be opened. In chapter 6, the church is not here by my understanding of it. Now you can be pre-wrath, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. I I am pre-wrath. In other words, God will not pour out his wrath on us as Christians. He's already done that and he promised he'd never do that again. That's after the flood. And and that's that's been poured out on Jesus and so It'll never be poured out on us. It was poured out on Christ. And so here in chapter 6 is where we see the white, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse. And in chapter 6, we see that the white horse probably represents the Antichrist and the deception that he brings. We see the red horse represents terrorism, which we see stirring in the earth today. We see the black horse represents the destruction of the economy. We see the pale horse, and that represents, and it says it, what had the ability to kill with the sword, famine, plague, and wild beasts, and a fourth of humanity was destroyed by this individual or by this by this uh this uh, force of e- uh, this force in chapter 7 the earth vision is paused for just a moment as he sees into heaven and he sees those christians who've been taken around away rejoicing with the lord our god enjoying and then he's unpaused and he's back in chapter 7 as me- uh, meteorites begin to shower uh, the earth and uh, a third of the vegetation is destroyed asteroids hit the earth and one third of all sea life is destroyed one third of all drinking water in chapter uh, 7 is destroyed by a nuclear explosion we believe chapter 8 is the, where the trumpets start and the meteor showers continue and the heat of which destroy one third of the earth's vegetation oh sorry I already covered that chapter 9 uh, Satan is torturing people so bad in chapter 9 that they beg to die, but they cannot die. Locusts begin to come up out of volcanoes, flying locusts with scorpion venom and begin to sting and, 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 and wound people. But it's, it's so bad that they want to die, but they can't die until five months into the whole process of being stung by all of these locusts. Chapters 10 through 15 contain even more, and the Antichrist begins to cause more pain and torture, and, pre- and deception is running rampant, and humanity will still not repent. In chapter 16, the bowls start. The first bowl is about tumors, and cancers are on the people like never before. They still won't repent. In chapter 16, the second bowl, and the sea turns to blood red. The third bowl, fresh water supplies are turned bloody. The sun and the fourth bowl, scorching all the people, is too hot to even survive and obviously the ozone has been depleted the fifth bowl uh, people are, will be burnt with nuclear and biological weapons and they still won't repent the sixth bowl the rivers dry up the seventh bowl an earthquake like never been seen 
And people begin to receive the mark of the beast and agony in crushing them. And then the battle of Armageddon. And that is where the peoples of the earth stand in defiance to Jesus Christ and think that they're going to fight him off. Friend, listen to me. Listen to me. Irreverence is coming and is a part of us now. You can't be so mad at the world that they have no respect and no fear of a God that they do not know. But you and I better start with ourselves and say, Lord, I have lost my fear. I've lost my respect. I've treated you as common, and I need to repent, oh God. God, I'm so sorry for treating you as just something common. And Lord, I'll never do it again. Lord, teach me how how can I walk uprightly before you, and how can I fear the Lord, for it is the beginning of wisdom. Somebody say amen. So if I draw near to God, he'll do what? If I draw near to God, he'll do what? Draw near to me. God's not mad at us. God doesn't hate us. God is a loving father that can't wait to get in relationship with us, but he demands respect because he's God and we are not. The other day I came home from work and my first grader was sitting on the couch watching TV all laid up with a bowl of popcorn. I walked in She glanced at me and kept watching TV. I stood there for about 10 seconds, and I said, get up. What? She went to the next channel. I grabbed her by her ear, pulled her up. (laughs) Go to your room. Because go to your room means you're about to get a butt whipping. Go to your room. Go to your room. (laughs) Go to your room. I sat down, finished her popcorn, watched a little bit of PBS. (laughs) Then I went and got her after five minutes. She's crying hysterically. I said, sit yourself down. I said, let me explain something to you. Okay? I'm your daddy. I work hard so that you can have a TV and a couch and a bowl of popcorn to eat. I respect you. I don't treat you bad. I don't, I don't slap on you. I don't, I don't make fun of you. I don't embarrass you in front of other people. I respect you. And let me tell you something. You're going to respect me. When I walk in the room, you're going to get your butt up off the couch. You're going to come run and hug your daddy. You understand me? I don't care what game you think you're playing. It's not cool. It's not going to happen. <laughs> So now, I don't even get the door open. She's standing here. Like, let's do it fast because I got to get back to my show. Come on, let's get this over with. I'm on, I'm on a schedule. Can I tell you something? That's what we've done to Jesus Christ. That's what we've done to the Lord. That's what we've done to the Lord. We, 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 he's always going to provide for us. He loves us and we know it. And he provides for us, and we become the spoiled little first grader on the couch watching our little TV shows and mad that God hadn't shown up the way we thought he should. And, then when, and, and we've lost the fear of the Lord. Again, the fear of the Lord is that we respect him. See, listen, let me explain something to you. Listen, a, a person who's scared of God is a person hiding something. Adam and Eve had sinned. And so they went and hid themselves before they walked in the coolness of the day. See, can I explain something to you? When you draw nigh to God, when you start drawing close to God, all of your sin becomes exposed, and you don't care. You just want to be in His presence. You just want to be by that burning bush, man. I don't know what y'all doing. I don't want to be by this burning I just want to be with the God who changed heaven and earth and who cares about me and who pauses life to sit with me and be with me and talk with me and love me, who wrote His Word in these 66 chapters so I know what He was like and understand His ways, and I embrace Him and I respect Him with all my love and all my adoration. And friend, listen to me. If you and I don't get back to that place, we're going to look up one day and we're going to be that kid on the couch with that ear being twisted, sent to our room, and then all of a sudden, wah, 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 and we go, hey, life is so bad. Yes, because you've lacked the respect and the love and the honor or the fear of the Lord in which you and I should have been walking in. Come on now. He demands it at the end of the age. You're going to give it to him whether you want to or not. He's he going to take it because he's God. 
this point, he's loving and caring and gentle and patient. And at the end of the age, he's going to say, I'm, I done, enough's enough. You think you know something? You think your little machinery will stop me? What you going to do when a locust starts stinging? And meteorites start coming out of the earth. What you, what you going to do? You going to send what's his name up there on a rocket and he's going to blow it up and split the meteorite in half? That's in the movies. Listen to me. I have learned that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God's not mad at us, but he deserves our respect and our honor because he's God and you are not and I am not. Are you with me? Say amen. When I first took over Christ for the nations, I didn't know Christ for the nations. I had preached there. I had taught there, but I didn't know who Frida Lindsay was the co-founder of Christ for the Nations. So when I got there, my office was not too far from hers. And so it's some old lady. Who cares? I don't care. Let's bring revival. These young people. I didn't know much about her. And as I was there for a couple weeks and a little bit more, I started learning about her. See, I didn't know that she stood there when the tornado was coming towards Christ for the Nations. And she said, you will not in Jesus' name. You'll not hurt our property. And that thing split in half and went around the property, destroying everything around it. Yeah, I didn't know that. When I started, I didn't know that she would walk into a bank and say, listen, I need you to give me a loan. Do you have any money? No, but you're going to give me a loan because God said, yes, ma'am. How much do you need? I don't know how we're going to. I didn't know that about her. I didn't know that she preached all over the world, her and her husband, and saw blind eyes open and deaf ears open and come out of wheelchairs. I didn't know that she had read through the Bible over a hundred times. I didn't know those things. I didn't know those things. Once I realized who she was, I wouldn't move from her. And she starts saying something. She says, yes, yes, yes. Mom Lindsay's saying something. Go ahead. Uh, can you get me a Coke? Okay, what else? <laughs> See, I didn't have any respect because I didn't know her. Once I knew her, it was my job to embrace what she was, what she had done, and draw honor and respect from everyone else for her as well. The reason why the world doesn't respect our God is because we don't respect our God. When we respect our God and he is holy, they will say, my God, my God, you have truth that we never had. So let's, let's, I'll give you a couple thoughts on how to up our respect level, how to come to a place where you and I walk in the fear of the Lord. Number one, we must obey him instantly. Instantly. I have an issue with this. I do. I don't even like my own sermon. Because the Lord will tell me to do something. And I'm somehow proud that I'm still thinking about it a month later. When did we start becoming proud of our disobedience? Hey, I just need y'all to pray about me. God's been telling me to do something. I just don't know. I'm just trying to hear the voice of the Lord. He's like, I already told you. Obey now, instantly. I'm not good at that sometimes. I'm, I'm confessing that. I want to be a man who obeys instantly. God says, do it. It's done. I have found when I immediately respond. I was telling the first service, uh, Pastor Sean and I have been working out at La Fitness, LA Fitness. And uh, his grandma calls it La Fitness. And so we're working out, and there was a guy in there a couple weeks ago. And man, I turned and I saw him, grabbed my attention, and I felt the Spirit of the Lord say, He's supposed to be a youth pastor, but he's running from me. Go talk to him. I said, I'll make a bargain with you, Lord. If it's really you, have him come work out at this machine right next to me. 
which was another girly machine <laughs> like the one I was on, he never came. Must be his fault. No, I didn't obey instantly. Why? Because I lacked the fear of the Lord. I lack a true, genuine respect, a true, genuine honor. Here's a second thing that I would teach you to do, and that is obey him even if it doesn't make sense. Even if it doesn't make sense to you. Well, it don't make sense. God, tell me, do that. Listen, I can't tell you how many people in this room will tell you about the miracles that they had doing something that didn't make any sense. God spoke to them, told them, do that. And they're like, uh, okay, I'll do it, Lord. Those people understand the fear of the Lord. And it didn't make sense, but they did it anyway. And God kissed it and blessed it. He said, what if he doesn't? Then that comes to my, my third point, and that is obey him even if it hurts. Even if it hurts. We want to obey him. If it's easy, and it feels good. And then to my fourth point, look at this. Obey God even if you don't see the benefit. So many Christians are in disobedience and disrespect, and as a result, don't have the fear of God in their life because it doesn't make sense to them. And so they say, listen, I I don't see the benefit in it, Lord. If I do that, how am I going to get to this, which I know I'm called to, because I'm called to be blessed. This don't look like it's blessing. This looks like sacrifice. That's the devil. Because I'm a tither. I'm supposed to be blessed. Blessed. Lord Jesus. He comes to Abraham and he says, hey, listen, you know that son I gave you, the one I promised you that you've been waiting on for 40 years? Yeah, I want you to take him up on a mountain and kill him. You know what Abraham did? Let me pray about that for a month. That's not at all what he did. It says, and the next morning he got up and took that boy on that trip. He didn't wait. Look, that's been some of your problem is you're hesitating trying to get God to change his mind. You're hesitant, well, maybe if I don't do it right now, maybe. <laughs> and you wonder why your kids do that to you. Listen, when you and I are quick to obey, we know it's the Lord. We just move on it. And we don't hesitate. We don't worry about the, if it's going to hurt us or not. We, we start getting get past the place where the, we don't see the benefit. I'm going to just tell you right now. And I told my kids this not so long ago. Listen, Daddy's probably going to be one of the first pastors to go to jail. I'm just telling you. If we keep on the track wrong, Daddy's going to be one of the first ones. It's going to be awesome. I have a great small group ministry. Amazing. Even if it hurts, obedience is obedience. And it works. And the last and final piece, come on, you still there? Say yes. We obey him to completion. How many people do I know that stop obeying because, you know, eh, it's halfway done? Come on now. Can you imagine? Halfway done. How they bring your food out halfway cooked? I don't think so. You want to see it through completion? How about if we halfway built a building? Well, we didn't feel like we really needed carpet or air conditioning. We got some lights. It's not complete. What if she half married you? And stayed hooked up with all them other fellows? God doesn't deserve half obedience either. See it through completion. So it hurts, Pastor. It hurts. Most of the time, that's what you tell me. That's most of the time when you come for me to pray for his day, Pastor. I deal with God's telling you, it hurts. Can I quit? You're asking me. You're looking for me to give you an excuse to quit. Pastor said I could. Whew. Thank God. I'm not going to tell you that. Do what God told you to do. Walk it all the way through. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if we draw nigh to God, he will. Come on, stand with me all across the room. You guys have been magnificent.